Welcome to PNC C-Speak, the language of executives. I'm John Bernstein, Regional President of PNC Bank of New England, alongside my co-host, Carolyn Jones, publisher of the Boston Business Journal. Thanks, John, and it's great to be with you on PNC C-Speak. Each podcast features local executives talking about relevant and timely business topics. This knowledge sharing platform showcases leaders with forward-thinking approaches that disrupt the status quo and cause us to think differently. Our guest today is Marion Harrison, President and CEO of John Hancock, the U.S. segment of Toronto-based Manulife Financial Corporation. She's also a member of Manulife's executive leadership team. John Hancock is one of the largest life insurers and fastest growing asset managers in the United States, serving approximately 10 million Americans. Marianne, thank you so much for joining Carolyn and me for this episode of PNC C-Speak, the language of executives. Thank you, John and Carolyn, for having me. It's a great pleasure to be on with both of you. Great to see you, Marianne. So to kick things off, we'd love to have you tell us a little bit about yourself. You know, what led to your current role as president and CEO of John Hancock? Sure, happy to. Uh, Well, I actually uh, graduated from college with an English degree. People sometimes are surprised by that. I ended up um, going back and getting some more credits and got into public accounting. So I spent a great part of my career in public accounting, probably 12 years, and thought I wanted to be a partner of a public accounting firm. And uh, circumstances changed from a family perspective. And I ended up leaving public accounting and joined a, a bank in Canada and spent a a few years there and ended up over at Manulife, which is the parent company of John Hancock, as as was mentioned. And um, I was in finance. I was the corporate controller for the global operations. So I had spent about 20 years in finance. And after five years in in that role at Manulife, I said I wanted to do something completely different. And I didn't know whether or not that was something that would be um, welcomed by others or not, because I didn't have any experience in anything other than finance. But luckily, uh, the individual who was running the U.S. business at the time asked me if I would be interested in coming down to the U.S. to run our long-term care business. Of course, I didn't know anything about the business, and I had never run a business, so I knew finance well, but I didn't know much about sales, marketing, operations, or any of those aspects that went with it. And so I packed up the family. I have four kids, so it wasn't an easy transition to move from Canada to the U.S., but we all moved down to the U.S., and Kids were at varying age, but two of them were in high school and two of them were in elementary school. So not easy ages to move. And the eldest actually was in his final year of high school. So Mm -hmm. I uprooted him on that one, but um, turned out to be a wonderful experience, not just for myself, but for the kids as well. It really was uh, a good lesson in change management for them. But I came down and the timing was quite interesting. It was um, the beginning of 2008 when I came down to the U.S., And we all know what happened at the end of 2008. And um, for someone who didn't have general management experience, I really got thrown in because everything really went wrong. You know, from a financials, the markets were bad, the interest rates were low, everything that could possibly go wrong was going wrong. So I really got thrown in to try and figure out my management techniques and how to really rally the troops around a, a very difficult time. I say in my career, that was the best job I've ever had just loved it. I learned so much from it. And as a result of that job, that really gave me the opportunity to go back to Canada and run our Canadian business, which then led me back here to the U.S. to run the U.S. business. So that long-term care role was really pivotal in my career. And my career has all all been about, you know, taking risks and and trying things that I might not feel comfortable trying, but, but taking a risk and putting myself out there. 
In taking a risk to come to the U.S. that first time, right? what were some of the experiences that were the most formative in giving you the confidence to make that leap? And how's it helped shape your vision as a leader? Yeah, it was um, it was a hard decision to make to to come across the border. We didn't know much about the U.S. Boston obviously is a beautiful city. My prospective boss at the time was smart. He knew I had four kids. He said, "Come down for a weekend and and we'll show you around the city." So he gave us tickets to the the Boston Bruins and we saw a football game. And so he showed all the wonderful things. And I have two boys and two girls and the boys were, well, if we have to move anywhere, this would be the city, but we still don't want to move anywhere was the response. And, and it was really um, probably the hardest part was on the family. I was very excited about the job opportunity, but I was also nervous because I didn't even know myself whether I would be successful. And it really, as a leader, I think it really helped me to develop and learning about putting yourself out there. And, you know, as I said earlier, taking a risk and getting to do things that you would not normally do. And I think as a woman, especially, I think it's harder for women sometimes to really put yourself out there um, and try something new. And that was probably the biggest challenge, let alone everything else about uprooting family. And, and my husband, unbelievably supportive. I couldn't have done it without him. It's just been remarkable, but a lot of great learnings from, from all perspectives. It's a pretty amazing journey. You talk about uh, being a woman in the C-suite. And so as a woman in the C-suite, particularly in finance, what's some of the best advice you've been given? You know, it, maybe it's taking on new roles, as you mentioned, keeping true to your core values or anything else that you think of. Yeah, it's interesting. When I Throughout my career, I never really had a mentor, but it doesn't mean that I didn't have a lot of people that I leaned on uh, for various things. And so I did get lots of advice. At one, at one point in time, I had someone who said to me, you have to make a decision whether you're comfortable in terms of how far you've risen in an organization and you know what you've got or whether you want to go for it and take a chance on yourself. And that's actually drove me to make one of the moves that I made it was exactly that reason because I started to think about it. I was a senior vice president in a bank in Canada. And I just kind of thought to myself, you know, I do have a great job. I know everybody here. I My brand has been established. You know, am I happy doing what I'm doing or do I want to go for it? And, you know, for me, it was I wanted to go for it. And that was when I actually moved over to Manulife and, and took the role with Manulife. Again, totally different industry, trying something new. And I think it is about taking those chances, trying new things, um, I also think as a woman, it's really important that you let your wishes be known. I've had experiences in my career, especially when I've had four kids, people made assumptions. They made assumptions that I wouldn't move from one city to the other because I had young children. And I had to make sure that people knew what I wanted, not what they expected from me. And I think that was a really big learning early on. And then I also learned that you know, the path isn't always linear. You know, you might plan out exactly what you want to do and it doesn't work out that way. And that's not a bad thing. It's funny, as I said at the beginning, I always thought I would have been a partner in a public accounting firm. I have absolutely no regrets on my career. And it wasn't necessarily my choice to to make the switch from that, but it was um, it was a good thing. And that's why I always say to people, don't try and plan out every aspect because if you do, you will miss great opportunities. Absolutely. That's a lot of great learnings uh, on your part and great insights. So if, if reversing that, what's your best advice to business leaders for both perhaps those in the C-suite and then the next generation of executives? Yeah, I think in, in today's world, especially being able to do change well, and that's something, you know, I'm a, a change person. I love change. I, I like new challenges. 
But being able to grab hold of change and actually do a really good job of it, I think, is is really important. And I think it's also important to find opportunities, even in bad situations. You know, and I think about the pandemic and some of the things that we've done at John Hancock. You know, we kind of got thrown into it very quickly. We have a business that I would say wasn't all that automated. And it was really about how do we take this opportunity to automate a lot of our business and never go back, never go back to the paper world sort of that we were in before. So I think you really have to find those opportunities that exist out there, even in challenging times, and really do that change extremely well. I think there's so much that gets thrown at us, especially in the C-suite on an ongoing basis. And if you can do change well, I think you'll be very successful. Any thoughts for that emerging executive as well? Additional thoughts on that, I guess? Yeah, I, for the emerging executive, you know, I, I certainly feel that you can do it all. Um, again, as a woman, I've always said that, that you can have it all. And uh, as a woman who had four kids, you know, my view is I never got out of the workforce. I stayed in the workforce the whole time. And I did that because I knew at some point in time, my kids weren't going to need me as much as I needed them and that I'm going to want to be able to, to be at work. But it was important for me to slow down at certain times in my career. You don't always always have to be going for it. And so there was times I slowed down. I did uh, shortened work weeks, uh, working part-time. I did whatever it took to make it work with my family um, and my job at the same time. And And I think it really benefited me. And that's a piece of advice that I tell women all the time. Don't feel that you have to decide between career and family. You don't. You can actually do both. But just be mindful that at times you will pull back a little bit in your career. But that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that as well. That's great advice. John Hancock, under your leadership, has done many creative and innovative initiatives, both in product development and for your employees. What has been at the core of developing those strategies? Yeah, I think, you know, it's all around the people and 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 the environment that you create for the people. And I think it's really important that, you know, we create an environment that people feel that they can be innovative and creative. And, you know, a part of our world is really driven by our commitment to be an industry leader. And that's been important to us. But it's not just leading from an industry perspective. It's making sure that you're doing the right things at the same time. And I think that's been a big part of our success and rallying people together. That's why the pandemic has been a bit challenging, right? Because you can't be quite as innovative and creative when you're on a video. It's much better to do those things in person when you can collaborate and really have some great conversations. But, you know, when I look at from a product perspective, perspective. You know, I the industry that we're in is really about helping people and it's helping people secure their financial future and making sure that, you know, they're living longer and healthier lives. And so we've looked at how we look at our products and, you know, life insurance is something that everybody always talks about. And really the person that buys a life insurance policy, sometimes you would never talk to that person ever because they pay the premiums, then they die and then you deal with their beneficiaries, which is kind of sad. And so we sort of turn that a little bit on its head with a product offering that we have called Vitality. And the whole concept with Vitality is helping you live a longer, healthier life. And that, you know, that really brings shared value because from a customer perspective, if you can be healthier, you'll live longer. From a community perspective, it's good if people are, are living healthy lives. And from us, it's a good perspective as well. And so really being creative around sort of some of that shared value. And the Vitality program actually has um, ties wearables and technology in with your life insurance policy. So it's encouraging you 
to exercise, eat well, sleep. And as a result of that, you can get rewards and you can get discounts on your life insurance policies. So it's it's really changing the dynamics of what we were selling from, uh, you hate to say it, something that was focused on death to something that's now focused on life. So that's been a, a real big innovation and, and creation that we've done within the organization. And then on the employee side, you know, it's really important to just continue to look at sort of some of the challenges that that people are having and seeing what we can do. You know, the pandemic has been one of the the biggest challenges that everybody has had. And that's really the fatigue and trying to balance work life. You know, it's really hard to to cut yourself off at the end of the day when you're working from home. It's really difficult. And then when people are staring at screens all day, you know, from a wellness perspective, extremely challenging from from that side. And so I think it's really important. And like I said, as a as a mother of four kids, I know it is like to try and balance working and family. I cannot imagine what parents are going through today, having to have the kids at home while they're trying to work. It's just a huge challenge. So one of the things that we had done last summer, actually, we had done it, is we uh, developed a camp and it was called Camp John Hancock Manulife. And it was actually a program where the kids could do camp online while the parents were working. And so we sent out little kits to the to the kids so that they had things that they could do. And then we had camp counselors that took them through various activities. And it was a huge success. And even though it might have only been a few hours a day, that few hours was very impactful from the employee perspective and, and really helped quite substantially. And so we did that. And then when school went back in, we also had an after school program for the children. So just trying to do those things for the employees just to help uh, their their mental well-being, I think, has been something that's been important to us as well. Absolutely. So innovative. So as we talked earlier, and you mentioned uh, you hail from Canada originally, but as someone who has made Boston their second home, we'd love to hear about some of your observations about our city and the business community here. Yeah, you say second home. It really feels like my first home, to be quite oh, honest. I've, I've now been here for a total of 10 years, but I had a little break in between. But uh, it's such a beautiful city. And I think that the spirit in this city is so incredible. And it just it's a region that to me is very unique. And through good times and bad times, the city always rallies together. And I think it's just incredible to see the spirit that that lives within the city. And, and you see it, by the way, in Fenway Park and Gillette and the Garden. And then we see it at the Boston Marathon as well, you know, when we stand at the finish line, just to see the spirit in the community. And, and certainly what happened um, in 2013 at the Boston Marathon was just an incredible example of the, the community coming together. But even if you fast forward to today, you know, the pandemic has been incredible, again, to see community rise together. You know, COVID has really brought together a lot of people, the Boston Resiliency Fund, people standing behind healthcare workers, frontline workers. It's just been really nice to see. And, and we've gotten involved in that as well. You know, we, we provided meals to some of the frontline workers as well when they were going through the height of the challenges. So it's just seeing the community all banding together, I think is uh, what makes it very unique. Totally agree. Any one thing in particular that you love most about Boston? Well, I love the water personally. So I'm a, I'm a water person, always have. The ocean is fantastic. And uh, I certainly love taking walks around and going along with Charles. The city is a great city because it's so walkable, which is very unique. And that's what I like. I actually live downtown now. Um, I'm a 15 minute walk from work and I never drive anymore. I walk everywhere. And so I really like that about the city. It's great to be able to do that. Totally agree. It's fantastic when you're able to walk everywhere. It really makes the city 
John Hancock has been an important philanthropic leader in Boston. What are some of your current community engagement priorities? It's, you mentioned it briefly through the pandemic. Yeah, I think there's a, a number of things that we're focused on. It's interesting. I, I would say that the world is changing and, you know, um, a lot of the, uh, there's been a fundamental shift in, in corporate governance and sort of, you know, a lot of organizations were very focused. You're focused obviously on your stakeholders, which are your shareholders, your customers and your employees. But I would say have been more indexed towards the shareholders. And I think that companies are starting to realize that we have a, an important community role to play uh, as well. And, and Hancock certainly has felt that way. And we really do need to help drive social change. And I think large corporations have the opportunity to invest monies in businesses, um, hire employees in terms of job opportunities, and ensuring that we have diverse representation within our ranks, employee ranks. So all of those things, I think, are really, really important. Some of the initiatives that we've dived into is one of them is MLK Scholars. We've been doing it for 14 years, and it's an opportunity to get youth uh, summertime jobs and 600 youth, mostly um, youth of color, which has been wonderful to be able to do, getting them jobs for the summertime, as well as training them on um, financial literacy, which has been an important part of the program. As I said, we've been doing it for 14 years. And I, to me, it's important that corporations aren't just there to write checks, that we actually get involved and get engaged. And that's what MLK Scholars has done for us. And obviously when the pandemic hit, it had a huge impact on the program. We weren't even sure we were gonna be able to run it. But once again, the creativity and the innovation of the team really rallied around to make it a 100% virtual program, still giving students some great experiences. So that's one that, that I'm particularly proud of that we've been able to do within the organization. I've also uh, joined the CEO Actions, which is all about making sure that we have diversity, equity, and inclusion within the workforce. We are one of 1,400 companies that have joined that. And I think it's a great effort to see what Tim Ryan is doing on that front and really trying to help in terms of drive policy change as well. Um, so we are heavily engaged in that and very much a part of that. And I think, you know, as organizations, we all have to do a better job when it comes to diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I think there, you know, we do need to look internally at our own organizations even first to make sure that we have representation. And I would say at John Hancock, there's work for us to do here. Um, but we are committed to it. It's something that's very important and we will continue down that path. And so getting involved both within our organization and the community is an important aspect for all of us. We've all faced such unique and difficult circumstances during the pandemic. How have these challenges shifted your longer term plans for John Hancock's future? Yeah, I think um, the one thing that has certainly come up is employee flexibility. You know, employees don't want to go back to the way things were before. They want to make sure that they continue to have uh, flexibility in their schedules. And the one thing that we've seen is that productivity has not faltered. As a matter of fact, we've probably seen more productivity because people aren't as distracted sometimes in the work from home as as. Uh, strange to say it, but it's sometimes less distracted at home than they were in the office. So I'd say that the flexibility is a re really important piece as we go forward. So I don't ever see us going backwards, but I'm also a firm believer, as we talked about earlier, that that 
interaction, that collaboration leads to creativity and innovation. And I do think face-to-face -face is really important. So to me, it's about trying to find a balance between those two things. And we've actually already said that we're going to come back to a hybrid model when we, when we do come back, whenever that is. Um, we don't really know at this point in time. Hopefully January, but we will see. And our hybrid model is three days a week in the office, two days working from home to allow people to get that flexibility. I do think, as I, as I said, I think it's important that we do see each other face to face. I think that's how you build relationships. And when I look back at our times in the office, a lot of decision making was happening at the beginning or ends of meetings after the meetings even ended and people were able to have that little chit chat. So I don't want people to lose out on that. And I also think it's important to be there if you're a younger person as well, and you want to move up in the ranks, that visibility, those connections, those hallway conversations, they are so meaningful. You know, I said I didn't have a mentor, but I had lots of those hallway conversations. So those things are very powerful and very important. So I think finding that balance um, is going to be really important as we come back into the organization. As an employer, how is John Hancock looking at trends related to employee needs and demographics? So we've uh, spent a lot of time on the employee needs. Part of it has been this flexibility I talked about earlier where you know employees are looking for opportunities to have more flexibility in their lives so that they can balance all the different things that they're trying to do. So I think that we are trying to listen. It's a big part of what my job is actually is to listen to what the employees needs are, how we can help them, how do we make them more productive? What can we do to make them help find balances. So it's to me, it's really about listening. We have lots of town halls and the, we have uh, a lot of sessions where they're asking me anything. So it's not even a town hall. We just get on and say, what are your questions? Happy to answer them for you. And that's the best way for me to find out what it is that they desperately need and how can we make it easier for them to, to do that balance. And I think continuing to do that is going to be important and doing things like the camp and the fuel up Fridays and the flexibility and the hybrid models that we're moving into. All those things are really based on what we feel that the, the employees are, are looking for. What are you optimistic about and what worries you? I'm certainly optimistic about the concept of finding some good in some of the things that are challenges. And so from my perspective, you know, we've made a lot of changes into our processes and how we work. And I, I'm optimistic about the fact we're not going back. You know, we're going forward. We're going to continue to innovate and be digital and really drive a much more digital agenda. So I'm actually really optimistic that despite all the challenges that we've been faced with, it's got us to move faster. And interestingly enough, you know, projects used to take a long time. You know, it would take months for us to execute against projects. You plan them out, you execute, and, and always there's things that are going wrong. What we did through the pandemic is we said, okay, what can we accomplish in six weeks, start to finish? And we did them in little sprints and it was all around digitization. So what can we automate as quickly as possible? You only have a six week time and whatever it takes to get it done. For one, it brought up around a lot of collaboration and a lot of innovation. But two, we actually saw a lot of projects happening that were in these short sprints. And so the way that we work is even changing. So we've really instituted a fully agile model 
that we probably wouldn't have done had the pandemic not necessarily come along. So it's changed the way that that we're going to work as we go forward, which to me is really exciting. So I think that that's what I'm quite optimistic about is the changes that we've been able to implement and then just continuing to move forward with those changes um, and, and grow and learn and continue to excel at that stuff. In terms of what worries me, I do get worried that the pandemic will continue to drag on, and I do worry about the well-being of my employees. Um, I am quite concerned. It's hard. It's hard to juggle. It's hard to stare at a screen all day. And, you know, we've been trying to do a lot of different things, fun activities. We've had talent days, and we've been doing a lot of different things. We, we actually just started something that's about to start uh, tomorrow called Fuel Up Fridays. And the whole idea is that Half a day will give you an opportunity, no meetings, and it's just learning. So whatever you want to do to learn. We've got a lot of uh, programs that we have within the organization that people can pick up and, and learn, whether it's a, a new job sort of that they've never done before, or just any learning in terms of how to be a better leader, and then give them the afternoon off. So we're going to do this once a month between now and the end of the year. And it's exactly that. Fuel them up, give them an opportunity, because people haven't had a chance to really step back and actually have any learnings. So I think it's a it's a great opportunity to be able to do that. So I think continuing to do more of those things, we have thank you days that we've given to employees to give them their days off. We've given them five extra vacation days this year and we're giving them five extra next year again, just to encourage them to make sure that they're taking time off, making sure that they are refueling and you know getting away from the office and and just having an opportunity to uh, get revitalized is is really important. So I do worry about if this continues to drag on what it does for the well-being of people. Great ideas. If you were writing a book right now, perhaps you are, what would you write about leadership during times of crisis? I would write about finding the opportunities. One thing that I had to do by the way in in, in the time of crisis is get more personal. One of our values is sharing your humanity. And one thing that I found is uh, right away when we ended up working from home, I started doing weekly videos. And anybody who knows me knows I don't like the camera. So it's not a lot of fun for me to have to do <laughs> selfies on a weekly basis. But it was important to be able to communicate to the employees on a much more regular basis because they didn't have those interactions. And so that was one thing that we did. And I also let people into my life more. I Before the pandemic, I would say my work and my personal life were very separate. And I always felt it was important to keep them separate. But through the pandemic, I let people more in. You know, I did videos, my leadership team did videos of what our work office environment was. And most of us didn't have a uh, an office. I'm sitting at just a little round table in my living room right now. So it's not like I have an office that, that I can go to. So it really was just getting... Um, an opportunity to be quite real with the employees. Uh, we actually did a, a video of what my family does on a Saturday night. And it's interesting because Saturday night for us is a ritual. For 30 years, we've had homemade pizza every Saturday night. So I took a video of, of um, myself, my husband, and my grown-up kids all making pizza in the kitchen and sharing that with the employees. Again, not something that I would have ever done pre-pandemic. So it's just really changed the way that, that I have been interacting with people as well. Love it. Pizza is my favorite food, so I think I'll join your family on Saturday night. <laughs> Sounds good. You're more than welcome. <laughs> right. Uh, just a little uh, focus a little more on the pandemic. So we've heard the challenges that we are facing, and as you describe, as a triple pandemic. 
So as our nation faces issues of racial justice, economic disparities, and a public health crisis, what do you think the role of the business community is in protecting our citizens' health and ensuring equal justice and opportunity for all? Yeah, I think we all have a significant role to play. If you think of how many people that the private sector employs, there's just a great opportunity for us to be leading by example. And um, we all need to do a lot more of that. You know, we've been having our, our day of understanding, we've done it now the last two years where we've had a day of understanding and just an opportunity for people to learn more around diversity equity and inclusion and what does it mean and learn the history as well in terms of how did we get to where we were. That's one thing that's been interesting from my perspective because I'm continuing to learn as well and not everybody has the answers and we've had a lot of sessions that we have um, done with the employees, courageous conversations where we get into small groups and, and talk about really difficult conversations around diversity and um, it's been really good. And it's been an opportunity for people to, to express their views and an opportunity for others to listen and learn. So I think continuing to do that, we also had a day of reflection in, in June, which was really timely because you know it was celebrating uh, Pride Month. It was Juneteenth. There was a lot of things that were sort of culminating in that month. And we had a half a day of guest speakers, and you could sign up for all the different sessions that were going on. And they were great speakers all around diversity issues. And they were all actually led by employee resource group. We've got, I think, about 10 or 12 of them now, uh, employee resource groups. And so they were all leading them, just, again, educating people. So spent a half a day doing that, which was, uh, which was really valuable. So I think that we, um, as organizations, need to educate ourselves and our employees more so. And then we really also have to commit. And that was part of joining join the CEO actions. We have to commit to making sure that we have diverse organizations. And our parent company, Manulife, has made those commitments. And we're also a part of those commitments in terms of giving back to the community, helping some diverse organizations, making sure that we have diversity within our ranks, looking at our hiring practices, making sure that we have diverse candidate slates, and really making sure that we are helping our diverse employees to succeed within the organization and helping them find mentors and and helping them through the path so that we can be more successful. So I, I do think that there is a role for all of us in the private sector to play for sure. Marianne, we're all eager to look ahead to a brighter, at least a more certain future. What are the trends you are watching carefully and how would you describe your outlook on your industry and on our economy overall? Yeah, I think um, not quite sure where things are going to land, obviously, from a market's perspective and where we are. The markets actually have done fairly well and have held pretty stable throughout the pandemic. I do think that there's a lot of opportunity for, for growth still and a lot of innovation out there that we have yet to, to see. So I do think that, you know, as I look forward, I'm optimistic. I think, again, as I said, the world's changing. You know, we're in a much more digital environment. We got forced into that digital environment to a certain degree because of the pandemic that, you know, the, the way that people shop is completely different than the way that they used to shop pre-pandemic. And so I think all businesses are really looking at that. And um, I don't think they're 
is really going back to what it used to be. I, I do think that there is going to, uh, the future is going to be different for all of us. And I think every single industry has felt that. Um, but I think we can turn it to the positive and I think it, it will be positive. People are are looking for, not that they weren't before, but looking for instant gratification, wanting more things online, wanting the availability of products and services sort of at the fingertips. And so you look at an industry like ours, that's a real fundamental shift for the life insurance industry who is taking blood and urine out of people um, prior to the pandemic. So it's, it is interesting that things are are shifting and changing, but I do think that uh, it's going to be for the better and technology is moving at such a rapid pace. You know, if you think about the past and how long it's taken us to get where we are, it's going to take us much shorter time frame to accomplish the same sort of things into the future. So I think technology is going to play a really important part in our future. And I think as organizations continue to embrace it, and we have to continue to embrace it, I think that's great. But there's also a lot of risk that comes with the technology as well, that we see cybersecurity and a lot of threats that happen on that side. So we have to certainly be cautious about it, about the future and what it looks like. But I do think there's a lot of great opportunity ahead. We'd love our listeners to learn a little bit more about you personally. Are you ready for a few rapid fire questions to close out this episode? Sure. (laughs) All right, here we go. When you're not talking about work, what is your favorite dinner conversation topic? Oh, favorite dinner conversation. Uh, My kids. (laughs) Believe it or not, I, uh, uh, it's, it's just interesting. I always used to say that I never had hobbies when I had kids. My kids were my hobbies. They probably sounded really bad, but I love talking about my kids. I'm very proud of them, and uh, I speak about them a lot. <laughs> That's great. Absolutely. A social cause that you are passionate about? Um, I would say our MLK scholars. That I think that is such a, an important piece, um, really helping to educate the young, get it, giving them opportunities that they might not have otherwise got, and, and helping them on the financial literacy side. I think that's really important. I think we all need to do a better job of making sure that the young people have a better understanding of finances much earlier on. Financial wellness, financial health is critical. Absolutely. Yeah. We believe it a lot as well. What's a spot in Boston that holds a meeting for you? spot in Boston that holds a meeting for me. I guess uh, our tower actually does, you know, the uh, the uh, tower at the top of the Berkeley building, not the John Hancock Tower. Uh, many people don't don't realize that we're actually not in that tower. We're in the Berkeley building with the weather vane on the top. And it's actually been a very cool beacon to always look at. <laughs> what makes you laugh? Uh, just about anything. <laughs> I love to laugh. <laughs> I, quite seriously, I love to laugh. I, I like a good joke. Um, seeing somebody do something funny makes me laugh. I, I, laughing is an important part of life. It adds many years to your life. I truly believe that. And so I, I try and laugh as much as I possibly can. And finally, what's the wish for the future? I wish for the future that we all get through this pandemic and that we can all find some normalcy back in our lives. And I do really wish for all the frontline workers that have been dealing with so much that they get through this. I think it's been super tough on them. And I think really, really hard from a mental uh, well-being perspective. My wish is that we can get beyond this and that they can get back to some normal lives. I think that would be good for all. And that wraps up another episode. Thank you so much for joining us, Marianne, and for sharing your insights. Thank you very much for having me. It's been a pleasure to be here with both of you. I'm John Bernstein. I'm Carolyn Jones, and this is C-Speak, the language of executives. 
Our guest today was Marianne Harrison, President and CEO, John Hinka. You can find PNC Speak at bizjournals.com backslash Boston or on any of your favorite podcast platforms. Until next time. Thank you.